Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Dude, man, what's going on? Not a whole lot. You know, I think we should just mix things up. Every once in a while, we should just get crazy. Just silly. Just silly whack crazy. And for this show, we're actually going to announce who the heck we are before we continue the show. We're back. This is the Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. I'm John Tellerico. And this is Rich Wilgus, uh, Bloodthirsty Veggie Dude number two or one or one and a half or something. You're left, I'm right. Yeah, I'm stereo left and John is stereo right. So what's happening? What's new? You know, not a whole lot. We have one of our uh, toys back. The uh, the Aphex 107 mic pre is back, which we flew with without for a couple of shows because it was distorting, at least on my channel. John wasn't. <laughs> uh, it must, it's either telling me I'm, I talk too loud, I talk too much. I don't know. I think that you emit uh, too much moisture. <laughs> that That's what's going it. on. That could be it. Hey, you know what? What's up? We were talking about moisture just a second ago. And, and you know what I heard about some other kinds of moisture? What What, what are you talking about? I was thinking about some uh, moist uh, substances, and uh, I was reading that Science Magazine, they said that um, actually these biofuels that everyone's trying to jump on board, like ethanol and biodiesel and all that, they're saying that that those are actually a ton worse for the environment. Why? Because the the amount of, even though the amount of emissions is is kind of uh, about the same, if not uh, less, when they're being burned... Um, and there's not uh, a whole lot of stuff being pumped out of the ground to get them. The problem is the amount of stuff and energy that has to go into the production of them actually will produce 50% more carbon emissions for the lifespan or the or the, the whole life cycle of the, the fuel. Right. So Science Magazine is basically saying we're making the biggest mistake in the world to have anyone jumping on board ethanol. Hmm. Because we have to clear cut... Uh, areas of, of land to grow th- as much corn in, in like uh, sawgrass or whatever they're going to use. So it's actually, you know, in order to, to if we're going to go to that kind of fuel, we're going to have to uh, rape most of our land so that we can produce all this kind of uh, ethanol or uh, biofuel uh, sources. So it's pretty bad. Well, I was reading an article somewhere um, around Valentine's Day. They were talking about the overall carbon footprint that we put out when we buy roses from this country or that country because roses and because roses are out of season in february in in the northeast or something like that and uh the article was talking about you know the overall carbon footprint is less even though this country is further away for this reason and my thought was well just don't buy the roses and then there'll be zero carbon footprint you know let's not i understand it's a major holiday but I know red roses are traditional, but let's go to a different gift idea and then not have to fly these roses from Kenya or Australia or South America here, and then we'd be fine. What about the chocolate? Um, I, well, there's plenty of chocolate manufactured in the U.S., so it probably has a lower carbon footprint than flying it in. Oh, it's manufactured, but when, where is it being grown? Oh, I, I'm the sure raw I, materials are being grown land. near near the equator. Well, that that may be. There's probably more chocolate being sold and consumed than roses on that day anyway. Yeah, there probably is. 
Well, I didn't buy anybody any chocolate on that day anyway. I had I had no one to give anything to this year. What about you? Did you buy any roses? No roses. Chocolates, though. Chocolates. So, you know, we, our last show, we talked about the whole closure thing. And we... Uh, closure? Uh, clo- closure. We invited feedback, and we got one. Exactly one. <laughs> That's 100% more than I was expecting. Yeah, well, our, our listeners are... are, are are certainly uh, intelligent, but um, silent, but sh- shy, and silent. <laughs> sort of like chillaxing. They're silent. That's right. And well, one of our Shilence listeners, of the uh, lamb. that's right. One of our listeners from Vegas, a guy named Tim, uh, sent us a little missive here, and uh, apparently he's not keeping with the uh, the axiom of whatever say, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Because uh, when he typed this, this happened in vegas and yet here it is so there's no like radio silence for vegas well maybe we won't uh, just so his fellow las vegasians uh, won't know we won't distribute this show to any las vegas listeners other than him I, I feel bad though we're outing him because he's probably in a room now getting his kneecaps removed he could be with a with a, a polo hammer remember that <laughs> probably in um the cooler was that the cooler? Yeah, he yeah. took out the guy's kneecap with the polo mallet hammer thingy. See, he didn't so, stay silent. There we so go. here's what Tim writes. He wrote, John and Rich, here are some of my thoughts on closure from your latest podcast. I found the Wikipedia entry on closure very informative. I ended up linking to that um, on you the did. word closure on the website. I often associate a sense of closure with a sense of satisfaction or a sense of no longer feeling offended or injured by the actions of another. For example, I may never quite lose my sense of being offended by the acts of the current president. Even though there may still exist some lingering ambiguity that never quite goes away, a feeling of acceptance on my and another's limitations contributes to my sense of closure. I think that closure or the lack thereof is most often associated with the effects of another person's actions on us. Of course, closure can apply to what we want to do or accomplish in our lives. For example, I would like to write a book or books. Even though I feel a need for closure on this, I have myself alone to take responsibility for closure on this. I guess this could also apply to my relationships with others. We need to take responsibility for our part in the event, events, event or events that we need closure on. This is another way that I experience closure. My marriage to the mother of my two children ended almost 15 years ago. I still do not have a complete sense of closure on this. I feel this is mainly because of the effect of the divorce that I see in the kids. I have come to accept that I will never have complete satisfaction. The acceptance of this is closure for me, accepting the fact that there will never be complete closure. Life is full of ambiguity. It is very rarely black and white, cut and dry, except perhaps in the event of someone's death. Even then, there may be incomplete closure. I guess the only time closure comes completely is in the event of one's own death. That's interesting. If we could somehow die without dying, then we could have complete closure and still be alive to experience whatever life has to offer. I think that a need for closure often keeps us stuck or hung up on past events and interactions. This interferes with our complete experience of the present. I would even go so far as to say that an obsession regarding closure is one of the major causes of conflicts in the world today. He actually said a lot of really, really interesting stuff in there. Yeah, the, the last point is the one that I think that, that rings the most true for me personally is that I see a lot of people hung up on this, this concept of closure and they're focusing on closure and it's almost like they're, they're generating a problem where there shouldn't be one. So, yeah, I think that people it's, it's just... like closure doesn't exist. So get over it. So don't obsess <laughs> on it. Really. I mean, in a way, that's kind of what's being said. Well, and, and not only that, but I think that people are it's it's almost like they're, they just they can't move on. So they generate a problem by obsessing about the thing that they can't have. 
So yeah, it's it's just really. There, I, I would call it's that very good. I would call that comment very insightful. The thing about dying but that's, not dying and being able to experience your life after. I mean, that's right. that's, that's good stuff. I mean, this stuff is actually pretty. Um, what's the word I want? Um, well, I'm planning on doing that later. Dying without dying. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I want to live forever. So far, so good. Well, statistically, you will. So what uh, what are we drinking today? Oh, we're drinking wine. And uh, you told me this was a gift. Yeah, this was a gift from Garlic Chris. It was a Christmas gift to me. It's a Jacobs Creek Shiraz, vintage 2004, and it's really good. So we're uh, we're oop, <laughs> we're is. enjoying it today. There it is. It makes noises too. It does when you clink the bottle into the glass. Have another glass. Try the wine. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna play a tune. We're playing tunes. All right, let's check it out. Listen up.
ripping. That was a band I discovered on YouTube. Um, I don't know how long. It was a couple months ago already, wasn't it? Long time ago. Like three or four months ago, they're Years. called. I did a search on like Steve Morse and the Dixie Dregs and all these bands that I love. Well, Steve Morse uh, was in the Dixie Dregs, for those who don't know. Some of our listeners are big fans of the Dregs and the Steve Morse band, as am I. And I came across this band called Hectic Watermelon, and they're out of uh, the West Coast. I can't remember exactly where on the West Coast. And they're a trio, bass, drums, and guitar. And uh, I was on their website. I think it's hecticwatermelon.com. Imagine that that domain was available for them. I what are the? I mean, what are the odds? I know what. What are the odds? And I was look, listening to. Uh, I'm sorry, listening, looking at John, the guitarist's influences, and he lists guys like Alan Holdsworth, Steve Morris, Frank Zappa, and I went, "Dude, you should definitely let us play your music." Alan Holdsworth did, and I, I don't know if you thought I was kidding or not. But I was, of course, telling him the truth. Serious. Yeah. Not a lie. And I can't remember his last name. It's Polish. It's like Tchaikovsky or something, John Tchaikovsky. But hecticwatermelon.com is their domain. And that song was uh, called Steve's Stunt Double. And I'm pretty sure the Steve is referencing Steve Morris because anybody who's a Steve Morris band fan or a Dixie Dregs fan would recognize that as being very much influenced by Steve's style. It was Morsian. It was very Morse. It was Morse-esque. And he goes, he takes it to that level, too. He plays the Music Man Steve Morse guitar, you know, which I want one of. One of these days when I have money, I'll have one. But And it's not like he was playing Steve Morse, or he was, like, trying to play like Steve Morse. He was doing a pretty damn good job of it. Yeah, and they all got chops. They can really play, yeah. and they're brutal. And he uh, sent me, in very high-res format, the entire record with uh, bonus tracks, and I believe Jerry Goodman was actually playing violin on that track as well, and Jerry Goodman was one of the violinists in the Dregs and the Mahavishnu Orchestra. He's the real deal. Yeah, he was great in uh, in Roseanne, too. <laughs> he was phenomenal in Roseanne. That's right. So, um, yeah, what do we... Uh, we've got a... We've got... We're going to be... You hear this? Our show today is going to be light. lightning and thunder. It's going to be light and airy. We're not going to... Like a feather. You. Yeah, we're not going to hit you with any really heavy stuff um, this week. Maybe next week's show. But I I pitched John the idea of doing another one of those top five memes. And I don't know if you actually went out and tried to find any. But uh, I had a epiphany in the shower today. Well, I was thinking about it. You, you said you pissed in the shower today? Epiphany. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And my epiphany was something simple and light and airy. Kind of like a croissant. <laughs> it, was, it was like a feather. It was... Bringing you down to the depths of heaven. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Bruno. Bruno. Yep. Yeah. And my idea was our top five favorite TV show characters. Top five. You know, I put I put together my list and I said, I'm going to put together my top five list, which actually turned into my top ten. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I have a sixth. I um, came up with a... So the rules for top five are kind of loose. We're playing fast and loose with the rules of, of the uh, top five. In I fact, came up with the, the definition of, up. The definition of five for me equals ten. That's right. Yeah, divide by two or That's something. Right. Well, you might as well go first since you, you wanted to do two for every one of mine. Or sure, something. I'll do that. Um, In no particular order even. Yeah, he's quoting me here. These are, these are the ones that, uh, that I, I put on the paper as I thought of them. First one, Jaime from Get Smart. Jaime from Get Smart. Okay. Jaime the robot. You know Remember what? Him? Yeah, of course. Shoot out the light. Jaime, kill the lights. <laughs> Jaime, give me a hand. And he unscrews his hand and hands it to him. <laughs> yeah. Jaime was a, a robot. Takes everything literally. Yes. And um, you know what? I hadn't even thought of Get Smart. So oh, I'm, uh, I'm, oh. I'm a little sad because my guy from Get Smart would have been the, the German U-boat guy, Bernie Coppell's character. From Chaos. Yes, yes. It would have been... Um, the head of chaos. What was his name? No, well, he was he was an agent. He wasn't really the head. I thought he was the head of no, chaos. No, he was just an agent, and his name was um, 
Siegfried, wasn't Siegfried? it? Siegfried? Something like that? I can't, he I was can't. a U-boat captain, and he always had that leather coat on that squeaked, you know, with that leather oh, noise. Oh, that's right, right. And it was Bernie Coppell, our love boat doctor, who played him. So, yeah, he would have been on my list. Um, I'll hit you with a second one, because I'm doing 10 here. My next one, and I mentioned someone else from this show when I was talking to you, but this is the guy I really liked. Roscoe P. Coltrane from Dukes of Hazzard. Flash. Flash was his dog. Yeah, Basset Hound Flash, which changed gender during the show. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in uh, order of oldest characters to newest, and um, my uh, my first guy would be Maynard G. Krebs. A little oh, yeah. shout out to Bob Denver. Oh yeah, Bob the, Denver, the beat Gilligan before Gilligan. That's right, the beatnik sort of jazz loving. Uh, he used to wear the the African was it dashiki shirts? Yeah, and he had like the soul the, patch. Yeah, he, a beatnik. Yeah, yep. and uh, he's uh, he's who I listed as number one, but he's my oldest character. <laughs> All right, here's my next one. And I, I'm thinking that this might be a crossover. What are you saying? Mel Sharples from Alice. Oh, yeah. Mel was a good character. Oh, you don't have him on your list? No. Uh, the diner owner. The owner of the diner. Vic Tayback. Vic Tayback. Yeah. I always thought Mel was great because he was like the most crude and disgusting guy, but he was like the kind of like the hooker with the heart of gold. He was the greasy spoon owner with the heart of gold. Yeah, he was cool. Well, do, do your next one. Oh, my next one is uh, Radar O'Reilly from MASH, and that's got to be a crossover. Maybe. Oh, um, it's not. It Maybe. Radar O'Reilly was certain. You know, MASH had, for me, had so many uh, endearing characters because it was such an endearing show. But my uh, my second guy, and uh, again, this is going from oldest to newest, is Mr. Spock. I've always been a Mr. Spock guy. You know, that sort of dry humor he had, even though Vulcans had no humor and all that. Uh, Mr. Spock was great. That choice is illogical. <laughs> what do you got? All right. You're not going to agree with this one, but the car from Knight Rider, Kit. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't was have picked it Anthony anybody. Daniels was the or what's the that guy, guy's name? Um, the doctor from the uh, heart Saint surgeon Elsewhere. from Saint Elsewhere did the voice. William Daniels. William Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a great character because you know it was always providing uh, comic relief, and you know you had to look at something nice when you've got Hasselhoff on screen most of the time. <laughs> yeah, you had to see something. You know. Yeah, he was the redeeming character. Yeah, he was the redeeming character. And then my uh, my other in my if you uh, told me list. you were going to do ten, I would have come up with more. You probably could have. Columbo. From oh, he's awesome. Yeah, Peter Falk. And just one more thing. That was his thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's like... That was his technique for trapping that's you. That's right, that's right. People would feel they were... They were uh, they were they were lulled, lulled to sleep. into a yeah. sense of... Uh, they're, they're thinking, oh, this guy's a bumbling idiot. And then just as he's walking out the door, bam, one more thing. And it's the one question that makes them uh, nervous. Okay, my number three, or whatever, three to your six, or whatever, uh, Hawkeye Pierce. He's really one of my favorite characters on MASH. I know there's going to be something from MASH. Yeah, he's, I mean, I think the guy's a genius. I mean, he's a pretty good actor, but he wrote so many of the strongest episodes on there, and he's he's really a talented guy, and I like his politics, you know, I like his social views. You know, I, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with that man. Did you ever see the Al PBS? Alda. Alan Alda. Did you ever see the... Uh, uh, the PBS show he did, the science show where he would go around. and I think uh, I saw maybe one episode of Well, that. the thing that was amazing to him was he had the kind of excitement and childlike, wild-eyed curiosity for this these things he was seeing, kind of like the crocodile hunter did for nature, you know? Just, right. He, he was able to transmit the passion for what he was saying to you, you know? And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that's why I like uh, Alan Alda. All right. Here's one that might be a crossover. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to bet on these crossovers. The Fonz from Happy Days. Mm. Well, the the Fonz is certainly one of my favorite characters, but he's not on my list. I, I Arthur Fonzarelli is not on your list. 
I'm sorry. He the guy is... who literally jumped the shark? <laughs> right. Uh, well, again, Happy Days, you know, they gave us a lot of great characters. I mean... Mork? Uh, right. Mork was a spinoff from Happy Days. Uh, Robin Williams was... Chachi, who loved Joni, uh, Yeah, apparently. Chachi, not so much. But um, what about Arthur Franzarelli's early relative, Spike, his nephew? Spike, he was right. on some of the shows. And Pinky Tuscadero. Pinky Tuscadero and the... Leather Tuscadero. Leather Tuscadero and the... What was the name of her band? Leather Tuscadero and the... Whole uh, bags, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. <laughs> but I mean, Laverne and Shirley, of course, was a spinoff of, right. of Happy Days. And I, I like the way the Fonz character evolved from a guy who wasn't even supposed to be a major character in the opening credits. He was in the ending credits. Yeah, he was a thug and then he became like the, the most upstanding citizen. Yeah, he, he became a teacher, a high school teacher. Did he grow a beard? He grew a beard. He was half owner of Arnold's when when Chachi burned it down. Just keep eating while we're doing the show. It's yeah, okay. um, John bought some gluten free <laughs> peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, and right. as you remember from our um, top five meme that John came up with a year ago, our favorite flavor combination peanut, peanut butter, butter and chocolate, chocolate are those are damn good cookies. Are, are mine? I think I maybe had a piece of one. Is mine or are mine? <laughs> you did until you broke it. Yeah, it exploded, and then it's on the floor. All right, this one might be a crossover. This is like a gamble crossover. Norton, Honeymooners. Mm. Either him or I wasn't Ralphie a big, could have been. Uh, I wasn't a big uh, Jackie Gleason fan. Art Carney made the show, I think. Really? Yeah, I think so. I, I love Gleason. You wanted to hate him, but he was the guy you loved to hate, really. I mean, he, he was he, Fred Flintstone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was definitely like that. But the two of them together were a great pair. I mean, it's almost like chocolate and peanut butter, you know? this Their sum was greater. You know, when they were together, their was sum like was greater than, you know, if you added up the individual parts, you know, uh, separately. That's right. There was a lot of gestalt there. And um, no, he's not He's not on my list. But I mean, I don't know. You know, speaking of Jackie Gleason, I mean, there's a guy who had a pretty amazing career, the life of Riley and then uh, the Honeymooners and... And he just didn't get the acclaim that I, I think he really was deserving of or entitled to, you know? I mean, the, the guy was just awesome. He really was. He was quite large. Yeah. Well, you know who, um, speaking of characters, um, people that aren't on my list that I probably should have put on there, since you have extras, I'm going to add some in, a variety of characters from the Dick Van Dyke show. Maury Amsterdam was a riot. He's not a sandwich. He's definitely not a sandwich. But, I mean, Dick Van Dyke and Alan Brady, that character played by um, Rob Reiner's father, uh, Carl Reiner, was, oh, yeah, was brilliant right. on there. And um, they were awesome characters. And, again, these are all – you can see these probably still on TV land, you know. Well, the thing that I'm, I find is that most of the characters that I find most interesting are the ones that are the side characters. They're not the main characters of the exactly. show. Exactly. And I have one. The guy who's actually the last guy I'm going to name, who's one character away, um, was a minor character on my favorite or one of my favorite TV shows ever. He was probably in a dozen episodes out of 120. But boy, man. I mean, it was sort of like that character in um, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, Serge. Serge. Serge he stole, stole the, the movie. Yeah, yeah. There are no small parts. There are only small actors. And that guy stole the show. Bronson Pinchot, right? Mm-hmm. There are no stupid questions, just stupid people. That's right. So my uh, fourth character, and I think, you, I think you like this guy, Jim Ignatowski. Yeah, Reverend Jim. Jim Ignatowski for me, and Louis De Palma as well on there. Louis That's was the right. guy you love to hate. Louis, by the way, De Palma, played by Danny DeVito, was voted uh, number one. And Reader's uh, Digest did a, a poll or something of the top 50 best 
TV characters of all time. Really? And, and Louis De Palma came in first. It was about five years ago. You could probably find it on the wow. web. And, um, but you can Jim tell Ignatowski, which age group was voting on that one, too. That's right. Jim Ignatowski is one of my favorites because, and this is going to be contrary to what a lot of people think about Jim, but some of the sweetest and warmest moments on that show were brought to us by Jim. And some of the hash. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, do you remember the scene where he went to get his driver's test and he was cheating? No. And he said, like, Alex and Danny, or Alex and the boxer guy, um, the guy who was in Who's the Boss? Um, you know who I am. Oh, yeah. It's like my mind, my mind is a blank. Well, whatever. He and Alex went with him to help him with the driver's test. So Jim was stuck on a question. And uh, Jim goes, you know, he looks off to the side. What does a yellow light mean? And uh, Alex went, slow down. And Jim went, what <laughs> does a yellow? And they did it. And they dragged it out, though. And it became just this comedy of ridiculousness, you know. But there was one episode. There were two episodes that really stick out in my mind for Jimmy Gatowski. Elaine Nardo, played by um, hmm, Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou Henner, yep. Uh, on The Apprentice. Right, on The Celebrity Apprentice, was dumped by her boyfriend, and she was feeling really down about herself. You know, I want a, uh, you know, a man who, who cares about me and respects me and loves me, and I want to be a queen in his castle. So Jimmy Kentowski took his van, and he chopped it up, and he built a castle out of it for her and invited her over and gave her this, like, metal. It was really cool, actually. And it was this really, like, heartwarming, sweet scene. And uh, there was also a very memorable scene for me where with Jim's father. Do you remember who played Jim's father on Taxi? No. Victor Buono, the actor who played Did King he? Tut on the original Batman series, right. was his father. And Jim never thought his father cared a lick about him because all, you know, Jim came from a very wealthy family, like 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 Charles Emerson Winchester on Mass, you know, on Mash rather, you know, from Massachusetts, a very right. wealthy family. And Jim was the disappointment of the family. So Jim always thought that he thought his father thought he was the disappointment of the family. And, you know, all of Jim's brothers were lawyers and doctors and all that kind of thing. And when uh, Victor Buono, the father character, died, he left Jim a few things, and one of them was a cassette tape of Stevie Wonder singing You Are the Sunshine of My Life, which <laughs> was, again, one of the most like heartwarming moments on a TV show ever. And it was all brought to you by Jim Ignatowski, this, this amazing... Reverend Jim. That's right, he was a reverend, this amazing character. One of the greatest characters of all time, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, I totally forgot about Taxi. You, kind of like you forgot about well, Roscoe P. Coltrane. That's right. It well, Get Smart. Yeah, well, well, Get Smart's one of the great ones. I probably wouldn't have done any of the... I would have probably picked Cooter. Cooter, <laughs> Cooter was cooler, as far as I'm concerned. No, I thought Roscoe was great. You know, everyone's like, when you think Dukes of Hazzard, you think the Duke boys. But to me, they were just a couple of pretty boys in a, in a racist car. And I'm thinking Roscoe, <laughs> he's the one who made the show. He was the comic relief. Yeah, well, oh, he definitely was. And, and then there was, you know, Daisy Duke. Jeans. Yeah, she kind of made him famous. So, uh, do I add more? I'm, yeah, you I'm going to do, do my last two. And you know, the, these ones, I'm, I'm feeling bad that they're on the bottom of my list because they're not as important. They just came to me. Um, and this one's more recent. The Smoking Man from the X-Files. He wasn't, I never watched the X-Files. He wasn't a comic character, but he was very interesting. He was one of those guys who you always wondered what the heck was going on with him. And True to his name, he was constantly smoking, chain I, smoker. Yeah, I didn't really watch the X Files, so I I don't know who that is. You know who this guy is? Well, I, right I, I, I might. And this is the only guy from a film. I really didn't want you to go do films. I I, I should have said but that. I was, but. but I was thinking characters, and this guy's a character. Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. 
Well, yeah, he's a great character. Although, you know, you're disqualified now. You, you lose the prize I on lose. Cash Cab. You have you to get out. out and walk. My, uh, like like uh, Trump said to Mary Lou Henner, you're a terrific lady. You're fired. <laughs> my last guy, who may be my favorite character of all time, and he's also on the newest series because mine were in chronological order, uh, is a character named Adam on Northern Exposure. And he was played by Adam Arkin, ironically. And he was this crazy, hairy, hirsute, world-class chef with a bad attitude who walked around in bare feet all the time. And you'd have to see him to appreciate him. But far and away, the strongest character for me, you know, in, in th- that I can even think of. And I, I do have a runner-up, though. I thought of him uh, a moment ago when I wrote him down since you had 10. I like House. I mean, House is a great character, the, the medical show House. You know, you just got disqualified just now because it's a contemporary show. You have to only pick shows from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> oh, I guess I didn't. I'm surprised you didn't have any Gilligan's Island on there, you know, or the Brady Bunch. You know, the thing is, all of those shows had great characters, but I wouldn't say they could they could match any of the characters that I picked. Well, and I, I, g- I had to give the shout out to Bob Denver there, so Maynard, Maynard made the list. Yeah, I, Bob Denver made our list somehow. That's right. <laughs> anyway, we got you, another. You also noticed that I didn't have any Brady Bunch in there? I did know because I like the show, but the character sucked. <laughs> yeah, I guess you not know, one of them Davey, stood out as a Davey good character. Davy Jones would be the, the, the Marcia's nose is a good character. Sam the Butcher, who died recently, was pretty cool though. Yeah, and who used to be on the Dick Van Dyke Show? That actor was on the Dick Van Dyke Show as well. If I had to pick anyone from uh, from the Brady Bunch, it would probably be Tiger the Dog. <laughs> okay, we got another tune. More songs. Let's check it out.
tune very cool tune echo lynn one of my favorite recent prog rock bands yeah that song was called 21 21 a two followed by a one one and one makes 11 two and two makes 22 as my kids like to say what does uh i'm trying to remember what the joke is now great now my brain my mind is mush how does a leopard change his spots Mm-mm. no that's not the one no how does a leopard change his spots no what's two plus two 22 fish how does a leopard change his spots uh, don't know. By moving. <laughs> wait, wait, here's my knee. I'm slapping my knee. He is slapping his knee, too. You know, in, in the wrong context, that could be taken out of context. <laughs> you little knee slapper, you. <laughs> That's right. So I saw a really cool movie. Well, you know, it wasn't that cool, but it was called Starting Out in the Evening, and it features an actor that I didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew who he was, and it was gnawing at me the whole, throughout the whole film, and I was going, who is this guy? Where did I know him from? Maybe that was a rodent. No. His name is Frank Langella Langella, mm. and he plays an actor named Leonard Schiller. I'm sorry. He plays a character named Leonard Schiller, who's kind of an aging novelist, kind of past his prime, a college professor. 
Um, he had written a few like well-reviewed, highly regarded novels in his day, but he never really got the acclaim that you know a guy like uh, Kafka or uh, you know um, Pinchon or you know those kind of people. Pinch. Thomas Pinchon. Pinchon. No, Thomas Pinchon. Oh, Pinchon. And the he was approached by a woman named Heather, who's played by Lauren Ambrose. I guess she was in Six Feet Under. Um, I never saw the show. Kind of a plucky little red haired. I think I've heard thing. the name, but I don't. I don't know if I could picture her. Yeah, and lineup. she was a, a, a graduate student and wanted to do her thesis on this guy and his work for a variety of reasons. You know, a to have a subject for her thesis, and sure. b to reintroduce the world to his works that she loved with all her heart. You know, and so they kind of embarked on this relationship of her interviewing him. And him being interviewed and uh, all the dynamics of that relationship because he's very old, very conservative. You know, he's the kind of guy who lives alone, kind of in a, a nice Manhattan apartment and gets up every day and puts on a cardigan with a tie. Right. Even though he's not going anywhere or no one might actually see him, that's just what is done. Like my friend Lisa's dad still dresses like that. He really? goes out with a cardigan. He's probably in his 70s and he used to work at a high-end men's clothing store when he was young and he knows how to dress. And when he goes out or when he's home, he has a cardigan in the wintertime anyway, you know, with a, uh, a tie and he's looking very proper with nice shoes and, and whatnot. And that's just the generation this guy is from. Very he, professorial. Yeah, yeah. He also has a daughter, uh, Ariel, played by Lily Taylor. And because, you know, this guy has some issues, you know, he had he and his wife had divorced at one point that we learned in the film. Ariel, uh, a little subplot of the film is Ariel's relationship problems and, and those kinds of things that are going on. But the whole of the film is really kind of the relationship between Leonard and Heather, you know, who's interviewing him to do the uh, to do her her master's thesis and all of the hijinks. There's that word again. Hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue because the relationship gets very complex and convoluted. Do they get in a van and they start solving mysteries down and... by the river? No, no, no. They get in a van and they drive cross country and they 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 out some ghosts. They take the masks off and they have a dog and a stoner. With them, and Casey Kasem does one Casey of the voices. Kasem, that's right. <laughs> no, they didn't do anything like that. that not but. that kind of hijinks. And a little space c- character named Bleep. <laughs> don't remember that one. No, I don't know what that is. Scrappy Doo. I don't know, but you know, I, I I enjoyed the film because I really liked the the characterization, the Leonard Schiller character. I I liked that guy, that old fashioned kind of conservative. You know. Just just trying to be someone that he was 50 years ago, you know, with the way he dresses and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like that kind of formality. I wish – I long for it in some ways, you know. There were some dialogue issues I had with this film, though. I mean, there were scenes where characters were saying things to each other that I don't believe those characters would have said, nor do I believe any humans would have said to one another, regardless of place or time. So the guy in the cardigan was saying stuff like, yo, dog. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. No, no, there were just pieces of moments of dialogue where I was like – Ew, I, I, I cringed. You know what I mean? I was just like, that, that scene really... It might really, have sounded good on paper. Yeah, that scene really isn't working for me. But I, I am going to recommend this film because I really like the characterization that Frank Langella gave this this character. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, By the way... The, You're giving it a thumb? I'm giving it a, a moderate thumb just because I really enjoyed his character. I mean... Uh, by the way, the, the where I had seen him in the past was on the first season of Deep Space Nine. He played a character named Minister Jaro, who was kind of a um, a Bajoran higher up in the government. He's been in tons of stuff. I mean, he's he's one of those actors who's been in like everything. If you go back in, in time, you look at IMDb, you look up any random movie, he's in it somewhere. I guarantee it. 
I'll put money on it. He's really good. I, 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 I did enjoy his character, and there were aspects of the movie that I liked. I mean, it, it wasn't a complete success, but, you know, it held my interest. I mean, if you're looking, for me, Finding Forrester was a better example of the aging writer, you know, who kind of befriends a younger person, you know, with um, Sean Connery. Yeah, that's right. Finding Forrester, I, I really enjoyed. This, not so much, but I'm still going to give it a, a mild thumb. Because we have to come of up the, with a rating uh, system. I mean, the thumb is, is pretty much it's actually it's the tra- pinnacle. It's trademarked as well. Well, You're not allowed to use that. I can't they use own my it. thumb? No, you can't say it. They own it. I'm giving it a thumb. That's my thumb. Actually, Roger- they, they don't own my thumb, Roger Ebert owns the phrase thumbs up. I didn't, say, I didn't say I was giving it a thumbs up. That's I'm right. giving it a thumb. I'm giving it a thumb. Okay, and then the, the next highest rating is index finger- Yes, and then the lowest rating is the next one. Really. No, 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 no. That one's that one's mediocre. It's the middle finger, and then the ring finger is you know it's bordering on putrid. Or we could, and the pinky is uh, you may as well drink bleach. Or we could just do what the Roman emperor would do. Um, we can't say thumbs down because that's probably copyrighted by Trajan or something. <laughs> thumbs down was actually good, and thumbs up was bad. They, really? they did it backwards in Gladiator because we're used to thumbs up being good. But if I'm not mistaken, thumbs up was like send him to the heavens, which meant kill him or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Anyway, I think that's a show, man. Is that a show? Yeah. You know what this little button does here? Yeah. What what button? It plays oh. the music. Wow. It plays Holy the klaxons. Cow. Yeah. It's a little louder than I thought it was going to be. Well, you know, we've got equipment issues. We've got new hardware. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. And software. Next week. Anyway, this is still Rich Wilgus. And this is still John Tallarico. And you've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. And, you've wasted uh, another uh, 48.06 minutes. Or thereabouts, but we'll uh, we'll edit some out of that. Yeah. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Hit our forum, bloodyveg.com slash forum. Send us feedback if you want to send us uh, your favorite TV show characters or maybe some more information about closure and what it means to you to feedback at bloodyveg.com. Yeah, we really do want to hear from you. We want to hear about your stories. You can send us cash. We also want to hear about some uh, some of your, your misgivings on life and, and all cash. that good stuff. And remember, you've been listening to the VIB. 